Pod people. Welcome to OVS Orbit, the podcast for Open vSwitch users and developers, Episode 7. I'm your host, Ben Pfaff. I felt it was time to do an episode directly about Open vSwitch development. I've wanted to get Kyle Mestri on the program, and coincidentally, he had done a presentation about the development process of Open vSwitch and a couple of other open source networking projects, so it seemed like a natural match. This is the first episode where the interview was done over the phone rather than face-to-face. The audio quality from the phone recording suffers a little, but not as much as I expected. There's also a little background noise from our teenager getting up and taking a shower in the middle. That took me by surprise because we recorded this in the morning, and he doesn't normally get up in the morning. I'll have to be more careful about that in the future. On to the interview. Today I'm talking to Kyle Mestri from IBM. Kyle, before we really get into our topic, do you want to tell the listeners a little bit about yourself? Absolutely. Uh, thanks for having me on the podcast today. Uh, as Ben said, I'm Kyle Mestri. I'm a, an IBM Distinguished Engineer in the IBM Cloud Group. I'm leading and helping to build a team that's looking to deliver uh, scalable networking for IBM's cloud um, at this point. And so we're really we're really focused on utilizing OpenStack Neutron as the cloud man- management system because our cloud is based on OpenStack. And we're also looking at using uh, Oven and Open vSwitch for the virtual networking layer. I've known you for a, for a while, Kyle, and I'm, I'm trying to remember. I, I've forgotten. How, how did you get involved with Open vSwitch uh, way back when? Yeah, that's true. We have known each other for, for quite a while. I, I think I may famously be known as the first uh, Cisco employee to get an Open vSwitch commit in way, way back in either 2011 or 2012. I don't remember. But, but yeah, that's really when I started looking at Open vSwitch. So my background is typically been a software person who just happened to work at Cisco for a long time doing some networking things. And, you know, at the time we were working on the Nexus 1000V, but, but my real interest was, was always in Linux. And so throughout the years while I was at Cisco, we had ported the Nexus 1000V in various forms over to, over to Linux as well with, with both kernel modules and, and user space designs throughout the years. But we never, we never released it at the time, and so when I saw Open vSwitch come out, I started to look at that, and, and I, I got really excited about that because, um, because number one, obviously I, I'm a huge Linux fan, and number two, I'm also a huge open source fan, and so watching the project evolve since its early days has been pretty exciting. I didn't do homework on whether you're the, uh, the, the earliest Cisco employee to commit to Open vSwitch, but I, I did do a little bit of homework. You have 21 commits in the Open vSwitch tree, and that makes you the 33rd uh, most prolific committer. Your first contribution was in August 2012. Oh, so it was 2012. Yeah, so there you go. With the role I've taken on over the last couple of years, my time for actual coding has, has gone down quite a bit, but uh, I still... I still actually like when I get to pull up the keyboard and, and write code. It kind of looks from from what I've seen out of you uh, the the last year or so that you do a, a little bit more management than than actual uh, development. Uh, is that is that accurate? Yeah, it's it's definitely been more management. I I have a team now at IBM, and it's not only that, but it's also more architecture work and ensuring that other development teams are all driving in the right direction to to solve the problems that we have. And that takes up a lot more of my of my time, especially over the last year or so. I do see you pop up in IRC and on the OPS dev mailing list from time to time, and I'm, I'm pretty impressed about that. It's uh, pretty impressive for uh, an active developer on Open vSwitch to keep up with OVS dev, so uh, I'm, I'm impressed that you managed to do it too. Yeah, it's, I, it's one of those old habits. I, I still love following the mailing list and, and catching up and, and replying to as many things as, as I can. 
Back at the Open Networking Summit a few months ago, you and Justin and Russell Bryant gave a talk titled Upstream Open Source Networking Development, The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly. That's what gave me the idea to bring you on the podcast to talk about the Open vSwitch development process and talk about how it's it's similar and it's different versus the, the OpenStack Neutron process and the Open Daylight process. The idea for this talk, I've wanted to give this talk for, for at least a year now, and the Open Networking Summit was kind of a great opportunity to give it for the first time, and, and I was lucky enough to get both Justin and Russell to give it with me, and subsequently Armando and I gave a version of the talk at the OpenStack Summit in Austin as well. The talk was meant to, to kind of go over all the hard realities of developing um, an open source networking project upstream. We took a different tone in Austin. We kind of made it more lighthearted a bit, and we actually went through and almost role-played uh, a little bit of developers uh, trying to work upstream at different companies. Um, but but the, the main point of the talk was to, number one, kind of educate um, a lot of people who are, who are freshly engaging a lot of these open source networking projects and, and kind of provide them with with some guidance on on how to be successful while working up there. And then number two, we also wanted to walk through and we wanted to kind of compare kind of three prominent open source networking projects and walk through and show how you develop in them and how they're different, how they're the same, um, and, and show kind of what works for each one and things like that. And so we looked at Open vSwitch, OpenStack Neutron, and Open Daylight as, as the three that that we can compare. Now, now since then, of course, you know, there's been a plethora of new networking projects that the Linux Foundation has launched as well. So, you know, looking forward, it might be interesting. I think I may try to keep this deck a little bit up to date and kind of compare how some of these other newer projects like OpenSwitch, um, FDIO, and such, how some of these ones are all evolving and how they work as well. Now I'm feeling a little bad that I, I didn't get to see the talk in Austin. I think that role play could have been a lot of fun. Maybe I'll have to uh, track that down uh, online later. It's definitely worth looking. If you go to the OpenStax website, um, you can see it. The we unfortunately we were we were given the the late afternoon Thursday slot uh, way around the corner in the convention center, so it was not it was not intended as heavily as I would have liked. I think due to those two things, but um, but it, I actually looked at the video online. And it was actually it was pretty fun. So. Uh, definitely, definitely go and check that out. I'll put a link to that in the show notes. I didn't actually realize that there was a, a real need to explain kind of the culture of a, a project until a couple of years ago when I uh, had a couple of developers from Noiro, the, the Cisco spinoff, uh, talk to me. They wanted to know how to contribute to OVS, and I, I basically said, well, it's a lot like the Linux kernel development process. I thought that would kind of explain it. But then it, it turned out that there are a lot of developers who have never actually uh, uh, contributed to the Linux kernel, so that didn't mean anything to them. I guess that sounds kind of laughable, but I, I didn't realize it at the time when I was uh, telling them about it. And that's actually something that you'll find a lot, of, and I'm sure that that was only one case of this, where where you find a lot of developers that either have a personal interest in trying to get involved in a project like Open vSwitch, or their, their company wants them to get involved because it's either become strategic, or there's something they want to they want to try to get upstream in there, and so yeah, we, we see that, and we saw that a lot in OpenStack Neutron as well. The same thing with Open Daylight. It, it definitely is a, a problem that's worth addressing. Thus, the talk was was meant to try to help with that. You started out your presentation talking about open source networking development as the wild west, and you showed a whole array of logos. You know, Open vSwitch, OpenStack, OpenSwitch, MitoNet, Project Calico, and so on. Do you want to expand on what makes it the wild west? The point with that was. Over the last couple of years, um, and, and really it's, it's probably been the last five years, but the, really the last year or so, we've seen this 
giant explosion of open source networking projects. I don't generally follow open source as closely outside of the infrastructure space. It's possible that this explosion exists in other corners of the open source world and the software development world, but certainly in networking, everything seems to be going going down the open source path, uh, open source path at this point. Whether it's a project that's kind of been you know launched organically or something where a company itself has come out. Um, a great example of that was was Open Switch that HP did um, with a bunch of partners when they launched that. That was backed by HP. They created uh, an open source project around it. Um, another example is all of the different things that the Linux Foundation is launching, probably starting with Open Daylight. That's the first one, the first networking project that they really launched. But now you're seeing them launch projects very quickly, and they're adding a lot of different ones to their umbrella. And in fact, Open Switch actually just moved over to the Linux Foundation as well. You said that there are four stages of open source networking development. I think that you meant this for the companies and the organizations that are looking to get involved and, and not really for the projects themselves. Do, do you think those stages are, are worth talking about? I'm not sure whether they were just kind of a joke for your talk or whether you have kind of a larger theory about how organizations get involved in open source. Yeah, no, definitely. So we, I forget, we may have adjusted these slides to the second version of the talk, but at the Open Networking Summit, we had a parody of, of uh, the Gartner hype cycle around the four stages of open source networking development. And those, the parody version of this was, you know, denial at first, then anger, then panic, and then despair. And then, you know, the point was it doesn't have to be that way. Um, if you want to get involved with open source networking with any of these projects, you want to contribute, um, develop relationships with the community, and, and have success. We said the real four way, uh, the four stages of open source networking development should be excitement, then possible panic as you realize the breadth of what you're dealing with, then enlightenment as you figure out how to be successful, you start pushing some patches and building relationships, and then ultimately success as well. It's like anything, you really just have to roll up your sleeves, understand what you're dealing with, you know, you'll be successful if you've got the right attitude and, and you're doing the right things. So do you think there's a specific key to that uh, enlightenment step or is, is it project specific or do you have a, another thought there? I do. Personally, I think one key with the enlightenment, enlightenment step is, is it's like you get out of something what you're willing to put in. And the way that I always like to explain this to people when I'm talking about open source is if you're a developer and the only thing you're doing is pushing your own patch, you're pushing your own patches and other people are reviewing your patches and then eventually they're merging them and you're respinning them when you're pushing another one, you're not really doing it right. Because the part that's missing there is you as the developer need to be reviewing other people's patches. And that's kind of the whole karma cycle and, and helping merge other people's code. And that does a couple of things. The time that you spend reviewing other people's code, number one, it makes you more familiar with the rest of the code base. Uh, number two, um, you're actually giving back the time that other people are putting into reviewing your own patches. And, and, and all of this kind of um, blends together to make the project successful. So to me, enlightenment is really about how much time you're, you're giving back to the project, either reviewing code. And, and there's other ways to do it. I, I focused on the code review right here. But there's other ways to give back to the project. But it's really... It's really about that, that cycle and, and making sure that you're giving back as well so that the project can be successful. I think every project can use, with more, uh, can use more people reviewing code, certainly in all of the ones that, that I've worked on. I, I always feel like people don't get, get enough credit for, uh, for reviewing code, and I, I'm always looking for better ways to, 
to give people credit for that. I would definitely agree. And there's different stages of reviewing code as well, because there's, you know, there's, there's actually reviewing the code and, and all the different projects, which I think we'll talk about in a bit, have different ways of doing this. Um, and so that's one thing. The other thing is, it, it's also incredibly helpful to, to actually pull down someone's code and try it out and, and see if it does what it says. And maybe even, you know, suggest additional tests that the person could do, um, or run it through some tests of your own or things like that. And so all of that ends up being useful as well. And it's, you know, so there's different levels of, of code review and, and, and maybe testing what someone has done as well. Testing is at least as useful as, as code review. So in, in OpenVSwitch, when somebody reviews a patch, we add an act by uh, tag to the commit message so that later you can find out who did the review um, and that person gets some credit for it, at least in sort of a, a notional way. Do OpenStack and OpenDaylight have good ways to sort of give people credit for reviewing? They do, and, and it's interesting. OpenStack has, to some extent, proliferated that notion of, of taking credit for, for things like commits as well as reviews, almost to the point where it's it's kind of gotten poisonous a bit. Um, OpenStack has this thing called Stackalytics, which is a tool that will go through Git and it will it will and, and Garrett and it'll go through and, and grind all the numbers of how many um, commits and reviews you've done, um, you know, disagreement ratios you might have where, where you voted away and someone else voted a different way. It actually also mines mailing lists to find mailing list stats. Um, Open Daylight has something very similar to this. I, I forget the exact name, but but they've taken the tool and, and deployed it for Open Daylight's Garrett repositories as well. And, and so on the one hand, it's great because it tracks what people are doing. It tracks the reviews. The, the problem is that the tool only superficially tracks that. So it's only tracking if you go through and vote um, a certain way in Garrett, if you vote a plus one or a plus two. It doesn't track the depth of that review that you did. So in other words, if you go in and, and review something and you just vote plus one with, with no comments other than looks great or something, and then I go in and I do an incredibly thorough review with 12 comments and plus one as well, those rank the same. And so companies for a long time over the last few years in the OpenStack world were kind of using that Stackalytics to farm some of this um, analysis, and, and but I don't think they were interpreting it the, the way it was intended. Oh, gosh, I, I didn't realize that you could actually take it uh, too far like that, but I, I think I, I see what you mean, that uh, whether the reviewer did uh, a lot of work or no work, they're, they're still receiving the, the, the same sort of uh, credit. Yeah, definitely. You know, and we do have a way in OpenStack, you can put like um, tested by or co-authored by or things like that uh, in, the, in the commits as well. So yeah, so we do have that, but the Stackalytics tool has allowed people to kind of move things almost too far in, in that direction. There's generally been a pushback against that for the most part. For example, um, a lot of people that have been around for a long time generally just ignore Stackalytics now because they know it's so easy to game the system and it's not providing anything super useful other than maybe superficial information. We'll have to keep that in mind as we uh, as we evolve how OpenVSwitch uh, runs things. The biggest difference among the, the projects that we've mostly been talking about, OpenVSwitch, and, and Neutron and Open Daylight is how they all sort of uh, uh, come together. You were the OpenStack Neutron PTL, which I, I think stands for Project Team Leader, for 18 months. So I think you must be in a good position to understand how Neutron works. And you've, you've seen Open vSwitch and Open Daylight for a long time. Do you want to contrast the overall structures of the projects and, and where they're going? You talked about this a bit in, in your presentation. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I was the, the PTL 
ACL for the uh, the Juno Kilo and Liberty cycle. That's a whole other topic, and that that's a that's a full time gig uh, for sure. And so so yeah, so we so during the talks, both the Open Networking Summit version and the OpenStack uh, Summit version of this talk that we gave, we did compare these these uh, these three repositories, and we kind of focused on on a few different things. We looked at project communication. Um, and then infrastructure and documentation uh, comparisons among them. Then we also we also kind of looked around uh, at you wanted to do something with the project. Like for example, you wanted to file a bug, or you wanted to add a feature. So these are these are kind of how we compared these three projects. Um, and if we start with with just project communication, which is simple things like mailing lists, um, how did the how do people communicate? Do they have IRC channels um, and other options like that? Um, all of the projects, Open vSwitch, OpenStack Neutron, and Open Daylight, all have mailing lists as well. Um, and actually, the, even though they have mailing lists, there are subtle differences. For example, the Open vSwitch has, has typically, the two main mailing lists are the dev and the discuss mailing list, where most of the discussion happens there. OpenStack has an OpenStack dev list as well. This is kind of a, an overloaded mailing list. In other words, all the OpenStack projects use OpenStack Dev. The idea here is you can use subject tagging to, to limit things to specific projects. Um, this does put the onus on the person sending an email to know that they should put, for example, Neutron in brackets in the subject so that some people who only subscribe to Neutron stuff will get that. Um, and then Open Daylight, they actually have many mailing lists per project. So I, I don't remember exactly how many projects there are in Open Daylight, but you can multiply that by by maybe five or six or something, and that's how many total mailing lists they have. So they went the opposite direction of OpenStack and created per-project mailing lists. If you look at something like IRC for communication, um, Open vSwitch has an Open vSwitch channel. OpenStack Neutron has an OpenStack Neutron channel. Um, it also has um, a few other channels, like some of the advanced services have their own channel. There's actually an OpenStack Neutron OVN channel uh, for the oven work that, that happens related to Neutron as well. Um, and Open Daylight itself also has many different IRC channels there as well. If you look at what other options are there for communication among the projects here, Open Daylight actually makes heavy use of WebEx calls for many things, including their TSC board meetings and some other things like that. OpenStack actually has a voice conferencing, uh, voice conferencing option available not many people actually use it, so those are the main options there. Those are very different mailing list structures among the three projects. Have you found that, that one or the other uh, works better, or are they just different and and uh, um, and not necessarily better or worse? One thing it relates to is is maybe the size and the breadth of the project as well. You know, for example, Open vSwitch is, is very focused on the Open vSwitch development itself as well as now the oven development in there as well. I know that, that recently the there was another Git repository added for Open vSwitch around the oven testing, and maybe that will eventually become a big discussion topic as well. But the project is really focused, and so there's no need for a large number of mailing lists, and I, I think it works out quite well. OpenStack Neutron itself is actually pretty focused. It just is kind of part of the broader OpenStack collective, so that's how we ended up with one dev mailing list. Uh, at one point years back, maybe three, four years ago, in OpenStack land, there, there did exist a bunch of separate mailing lists, but kind of the community as a whole uh, decided that, that they wanted to move to a single mailing list with subject-based tagging rather than this explosion of mailing lists, which is kind of where Open Daylight is. 
with, with the explosion of mailing lists. And every time you want to do something with a new project, you may have to subscribe to that mailing list. I kind of tend to think that, that even though the volume of email is large with OpenStack, um, if you just want to deal with Neutron, you may get a lot of other emails. It's actually good for a couple of reasons uh, versus the open daily approach of having many different mailing lists. Uh, number one, if you want to communicate with a different project in OpenStack, it's easy to just send an email to OpenStack dev and tag it appropriately in the subject, and you'll get all the replies and everything. Um, in Open Daylight, um, you know you can you can send an email to a list, but if someone removes you, you're not subscribed, you might not get the replies. You may then have to go and uh, subscribe to another mailing list. So, so to me, when the project gets to a certain size and has many different things, the OpenStack approach actually works pretty well. Oh, that that's interesting. That that approach of uh, subject tags was was new to me. Uh, it seems to work out okay. I'm currently subscribed to OpenStack Dev and just the Neutron tag. Um, I, I do wonder sometimes how much Neutron-related discussion I'm missing out on because uh, messages aren't tagged. But I, I don't know how to figure that out. You know, as in any community, we we have people in OpenStack who like to monitor the mailing list, and if they see subjects uh, which maybe aren't tagged correctly or are lacking a tag. Sometimes you'll find uh, overzealous people that will that will reply and add the correct tags and indicate that. So it you know it, it, it almost self polices itself to some extent. So you you get people helping out, and so do do most messages end up being correctly tagged? Uh, yes, I, I would say most of them do. Even if the original submitter is new to the community and doesn't doesn't understand that, uh, someone will will help to jump in and, and try to tag things correctly. One question that's hard to quantify, but you might have a, a, a good feel for it, is how, how welcoming do these, these projects appear? And uh, what's, what's the best way for people to, to try to introduce themselves to the communities? That's actually an interesting uh, question because we, we actually had, we actually kind of that, that came up internally at IBM, for example, with, with Open vSwitch because as we looked internally, to, to bring a bunch more people on board with Open vSwitch and oven development, there was concern about how would we bring these new people on, how would they introduce themselves, and and a couple of people had sent uh, kind of introductory emails to the list, and and then some people said, oh no, you shouldn't do that, and and I said, you know, that's that's totally fine. People can send introductory emails. Uh, it, it's totally fine. There's nothing wrong with it. Um, the other way is to just kind of show up at uh, for for oven, for example, show up at the weekly meeting. Um, wait till the appropriate point in the meeting, and you can introduce yourself there, or, or even just start replying to things on the mailing list. I, I think in general, all of these communities are, are definitely welcome to new contributors. Um, it, it's kind of like, like like any project in open source, probably even in proprietary development. When you bring new people on, there's always going to be people who are definitely super helpful, and there's always going to be some people who who are, are maybe overworked or overstressed and, and less helpful initially. Um, it's kind of just human nature, but I would say in general, all of these projects are, are really welcoming um, because I think they all realize that new contributors is how you kind of keep the project going and, and grow it. And eventually, um, how you cycle through both leadership in the project uh, as well as committers and contributors in the project. Do any of these projects have formal or, or semi-formal onboarding procedures for new contributors? Uh, yeah, it seems like they, they all do um, to some extent. Uh, for example, Open vSwitch has a nice documented procedure there that talks about about becoming a committer. Um, OpenStack Neutron has the same as well. There's documentation that, that details how you would become part of the core, com core team there, uh, as well as what's expected of the core team. Open Daylight, uh, uh, 
some of the projects, that's kind of like a per-project decision, but a lot of them have that documented as well. Especially for a project like the size of Neutron, it was with all of the people that we had coming on board and continue to have coming on board, um, we spent a lot of time and continue to spend a lot of time trying to document that process and try to make it smoother both for the existing core, core reviewers as well as for new contributors and new contributors who would like to eventually become a core contributor. Do you think that there are ideas or, or processes from OpenStack or OpenDaylight that we should adopt in OpenVSwitch to make things smoother for people? That's, uh, that's actually an interesting, uh, uh, an interesting idea. Uh, one of the things that we've done in, in OpenStack is as the code base had grown, it became clear that even though that there was a list of core reviewers, not all the core reviewers knew all parts of the code. Um, and so we went through a bunch of different iterations of of trying to assign um, people to specific areas of the code. We looked at, we broke a bunch of the code out of the main repository into separate repositories so we could more finer grained um, allow people to have uh, merge rights in those repositories. Um, and that's maybe something to, to look at for, for Open vSwitch as well. And like I referenced earlier, I know that you added the, the oven testing repository for merging a bunch of tests around that. Um, down the road, it might be worth looking at um, if Oven continues to grow and gain its kind of own set of contributors, um, figuring out how to allow people to only commit to Oven versus the, the core Open vSwitch project, and whether that's breaking it into repositories or figuring out some way to control access that way. That might be an interesting thing to look at. Yeah, we've been talking about breaking OVN out as a separate project from the very beginning, but so far we haven't figured out whether that would be useful. It's something we'll, we'll definitely think about as the development continues. It's something to keep an eye on and, and just see where where the most developers come from um, and where their where their skills are because, you know, splitting things up, there's a cost involved in splitting things up as well and it's best not to take that on until you fully understand and, and, and agree that it's going to be beneficial. One of the things that you covered in your, your talk is the differences in how the different projects track their bugs and, and get them uh, reported and fixed. Do you want to talk about those differences? Absolutely. And I think this is actually a really critical one because as consumers and users of these projects, um, it's important to understand what happens if you find a defect or a bug in the project. Um, so for example, you want to file a bug, um, where do you go to file the bug or what do you do? So with Open vSwitch, the, the typical approach has been on the mailing list. So you'll send an email um, to the dev list. If you're, if you're new to the project, you might send it to discuss initially because you're not sure. So you send a mail and then you discuss the bug or the defect you found there. With OpenStack, um, we track all of the bugs for Neutron and all of its repositories in Launchpad. So what you can do is you, you can go to Launchpad and file a bug. Uh, there's a bunch of documentation that shows you how to file the bug. Um, Armando, the current PTL, uh, he did a great job of coming up with a, a super nice template so that a new person could grab this, this template, put it in the bug, and then fill in the information. Um, as well. Um, for Open Daylight, they have a nice wiki as well that kind of walks you through the process of filing a bug for a specific project and what information you want. Uh, what we found at Neutron was um, the template has actually been super helpful because a lot of the bugs that were filed uh, were filed by either new contributors or users of the software. Shocking, right? We have users, but yeah, we do. And, and, and they filed the bugs and they might not have all the information that uh, a developer upstream needs 
to be able to resolve the bug or even triage it. So the template has been super helpful in, in at least initially showing people this is the data that we want to collect so we can help to triage your issue right away. Is there anything surprising in the template, or is it a fairly straightforward list of, of this is the information we need? Yeah, it's, it's fairly straightforward. But I think a lot of the times, if people are filing a defect, they may either be excited or they're doing it really quick. So maybe simple things like different versions of the software were not included. And sometimes people might include the version of Neutron, but they didn't include the version of Open vSwitch, or the, they didn't include the version of Ubuntu they were running, or CentOS, or or the underlying system. And so a lot of that information, uh, we just kind of put it up front and said, if you give us all this stuff, we should likely have enough to at least help to triage this uh, for you. So I find that the Open vSwitch main method of reporting bugs just using the mailing list takes a lot of people by surprise. It, it's kind of unusual. Most projects have a bug tracker. Do you think Open vSwitch should make more use of a, of a bug tracker? We, we do have one on GitHub, but it, it's not used very much. I think obviously it's good to have a bug tracker for a few different reasons. The main reason is because as a user who reports a bug, you at least then have a place to go back and look and maybe look at status of the bug. It also gives you a nice place to go back and look and search to see if someone already found an issue. Because that's one of the other things that I, um, our Neutron bug reporting docs talks about is um, before you file a bug, make a best effort attempt to search through and see if someone has already filed it. And if they have, you know, you can subscribe to that bug or add additional information. So I, I think it's, at some point it might be useful for that for, for Open vSwitch uh, and or Elvin to, to have some sort of bug tracker. You know, the GitHub bug tracking is uh, filing issues is, is okay. I, it's kind of wordy with the emails they send and, and some other things, but that's all configurable, I think. Are there particular bug trackers you found that are more useful than others? My experience is that uh, more or less bug trackers tend to be created equal. The two that are involved here, uh, Launchpad and Bugzilla, are, are there important differences? I think I agree with you. I, I think they're all relatively the same. Um, they might have subtle differences, but I, I don't really have a, uh, a preference um, either way. Uh, both Bugzilla and Launchpad are fine, and, and I think even GitHub, if you use GitHub issues, is likely fine as well. So it might be worth uh, uh, talking a little bit more about how review actually gets done. We've we've danced around uh, some of the some of the differences, but I don't think we've we've actually explained how review happens in the three projects. I don't think we have that. So that that definitely is is worth doing. And I'll try to summarize it as uh, uh, OpenStack and Open Daylight both use Garrett for their their Git repositories as well as the code review system. So from their perspective, a developer will clone the upstream repository, will go ahead and create a branch. If, if they want to fix a bug, they'll go ahead and fix the bug, run a bunch of unit tests, um, perhaps some functional tests, um, and, and in the case of OpenStack, um, uh, they'll do all of that. They'll, they'll commit their change locally on that branch, and then because they're using Garrett, they'll do a Git review, and that'll push the change out to Garrett. The change will show up on the upstream Garrett, <clears throat> so Developers who are logged in, in either OpenDaylight or OpenStack Neutron's case, can go ahead and log in. They can review the change using the Garrett UI, um, and they can they can vote on the change, either minus one or plus one. If they're a core team member, they can do plus two or minus two. And then, typically once the change has two plus twos uh, and no minus one votes, then a core team member can merge the change upstream. I should note that a lot of people do not necessarily like Garrett's upstream web UI. Um, and, and in that particular case, 
there are actually multiple different CLI-based options to, to interface with a Garrett system. Um, one of the most prominent ones written by the OpenStack Infra team is called uh, Gertie, G-E-R-T-T-Y, and, and it's basically a, a TTY interface to, to, to Garrett. Um, now, in Open vSwitch case, the workflow is, is, is somewhat similar to some extent because you clone the upstream repository, from, in this case from GitHub, uh, and then you, you go ahead and, and you might create a branch locally again. You might go ahead and fix your bug in that. But now at this point, if you want to get the code reviewed and send it off to, to potentially be applied, the typical workflow has been um, to go ahead and use git send email, format a patch, and the patch gets sent over to the dev mailing list in Open vSwitch land. It also will eventually get populated in the Patchworks queue, um, which which is also a web-based interface that tracks the, the, the progress on the patch as well. Is the Open vSwitch project still accepting some pull requests if people do it that way? Or at one point you were, right? So some people do uh, submit patches uh, via GitHub. It, it tends to be the minority, though. Yeah, that's what I was guessing. Um, so the main difference is is that the workflow for the workflow for Open vSwitch kind of closely follows how the kernel workflow works, which which is funny because we've circled back to the beginning of the discussion uh, when we were talking about Open vSwitch being compared to the kernel development process, but it's very similar. It's just a different workflow for some people. Um, I find it to be totally fine. I never really had a problem with it. I I, I like that workflow. Reviewing patches in email is is a little challenging, but I think the patchwork thing actually helps as well because for those of us that that use Gmail or something, it makes it real easy to pull the patches down locally and review them as well. What I've found is that the, the choice of review system only really matters to people who have only done development a single way and have have not yet uh, had to, to deal with uh, with multiple projects. That Usually, as long as you can get used to whatever a project does, it works out pretty well. Exactly. And, and I would totally agree. It's... it's um... For people that have only done it one way, then it's the first time you have to do something differently is challenging. But if you've already had to do it a few different ways, then it's pretty easy to adopt and, and, and just get it into your workflow. I, I think that tends to be one of the issues uh, with corporate developers who have a hard time joining open source projects, that a lot of the time it's that they're used to the particular way that, that their company does things. And so uh, when they get involved with something else that, uh, that does things differently, at, at first it, it's kind of a shock. Yeah, definitely, and, and I think along those lines, um, anytime someone wants to join an upstream open source project and use their corporate email, we, we quickly figure out whose corporate email systems are, are kind of up to snuff uh, based on what they allow you to send, especially with like Open vSwitch and the kernel where you're using git send email. Um, but even how they format the email, um, you know, hopefully they allow plain text, for example. Yeah, a lot of them will do things like delete white space at the ends of lines or at the beginning of lines, and, and that causes a, a lot of problems for sending patches. We've talked about all of this for a little while now, and uh, I think we're kind of uh, coming to a, a conclusion. Do you think there's anything else that you'd like to make sure our, our listeners know? Definitely. If I could kind of summarize, you know, being successful and working upstream, there's a couple of key points I think, and we kind of did this in the presentation as well, is, is plan ahead for these projects. You know, research the projects you want to work on, figure out how they work, um, let your developers have time to, to become comfortable working upstream in these projects as well, and so they can kind of get integrated with the community as well. Treat everyone with respect as well when you're working in these communities. Um, make sure you try to treat everyone equally. 
because I think that's that's also an important part of of working uh, upstream and working upstream effectively as well. And that kind of goes uh, back to the point of you know help others upstream as well, uh, which which is kind of like your way of giving back, whether it's in doing code reviews, testing, um, helping to onboard new people. Uh, documenting some things that you learned that were difficult, um, that maybe the next person won't have to learn. Those are all really good as well. Um, the other thing I'd like to mention is that, you know, everyone dreams of being able to, to write a huge patch upstream and solve a really complex issue or implement uh, a challenging new feature or something. But those are all really great things and it's definitely, you know, encourage people to do that. But the other thing is there's a lot of little things that are important to these projects as well. This includes documentation, um, infrastructure, bug tracking and triage, helping new people, and all of these things are also important to the health of an upstream uh, community as well. Um, and the last thing is, is is really help to empower your open source developers. Um, you know, make them feel like like they're they're in control of what they're doing upstream, and trust them. You hire good people, you know, trust their ability to work upstream. Um, you know, if you provide them with the right capabilities and the right training to work upstream they're going to be successful and, and they're going to do great work. That all sounds like uh, really good uh, advice to me, uh, Kyle. Uh, do you want to let people know how they can get in contact with you? So the best way to get a hold of me is on Twitter. My Twitter handle is at Mestry, M-E-S-T-E-R-Y. And I also uh, blog at uh, siliconloons.com. Although, you know, like with most blogs, I, it's kind of hit or miss on how much I've been able to do it lately. I think that's true for everyone. Well, thanks for talking to us for such a long time, and I, I bet people will enjoy hearing about the contrast between these projects. Yeah, thanks for having me on, Ben. It was a lot of fun. All right. Thanks a lot, Kyle. OVS Orbit is edited and produced by Ben Pfaff using Audacity audio editing software and released under the Creative Commons Unported 3.0 license. The intro music in this episode is Drive by Alex Barroza, the bumper is Yeah Ant by Spec, and the outro is Space Bazooka by Kirkwood. All of the music is also licensed under the Creative Commons Attribution 3.0 unported license. For more information about OpenVSwitch and OVS Orbit, please visit openvswitch.org.